Open up your Bibles um, to Acts chapter 10. The title of today's sermon is uh, called The Importance of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at four verses this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 44 to 48. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can grab that Bible. You can turn to page 919. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to gift you a Bible. You can take that Bible for yourself um, because here we study God's word. We open up God's word and we want to learn from God's word because God has spoken and he has spoken through his word. Um, Do you know that in just the book of Acts, just in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 56 times. And when we read this passage in a moment, um, we would mention him three times. Just in four verses, he's mentioned three times. And um, studying this and reading this, right, you, you tend to just observe and, and, and identify characters in a story. When we've read chapter 10 before, when we've studied um, this passage in the last couple of weeks, we've identified Peter, Cornelius, the Gentiles, the Jewish Christians, and there are characters of this story. Now, this is not a fake story, this is a real story, but we, we tend to look at them and say, yeah, Peter did this, and Cornelius did this. And we, and as we read the book of Acts, we can say, man, like the apostles and disciples in the church did amazing things. And we can celebrate that and we can be excited about that. But I think when we read this passage, my desire for you is that you would see something deeper, that you would see someone most clearly. And that is the Holy Spirit. I think, um, at least even for me, like, that oftentimes we are afraid to mention his name because we think weird things are gonna happen. Like if you say the word Holy Spirit, you're like, oh my gosh, something weird is gonna happen. Somebody's gonna whip out a banner. They're gonna do a praise lap around the room. And next thing you know, the service that was an hour and five minutes is now three hours. And you're like, what's gonna happen? Um, that, That happened to me when I was a kid. Services for three hours, there would be a praise lap. And next thing you know, It's three o'clock. Oh, the service ended. It ended early. (laughs) We, We, too, sometimes tend to identify the Holy Spirit as a thing or a force. We tend to talk about him like in ways that are not true. Denominations tend to equate what he does, his activity, his presence, identify that to him. Like he is just like speaking in tongues or he's just like, he's just miracles. Like, no, like when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. We're talking about the spirit of Christ. We're talking about the spirit who hovered over the earth before it was formed, right? We're talking about God. And, and I want us to, to remember and to understand that the reason why the church thrived in the New Testament. Look at me, like the reason why the church in the book of Acts and the early church thrived, they were successful. The reason why Peter was able to get up in front of 3,000 and proclaim the gospel, the reason why Philip was able to proclaim the gospel and be transported um, to somewhere else, the reason why Paul, his heart and his mind was transformed, the reason was because of the Holy Spirit. 
It wasn't business techniques. It wasn't like, you know, seven ways on how to effectively communicate the gospel. It wasn't a plan. It wasn't a a progress. It was the spirit of God. And it's okay to give credit to the spirit of God for what he has done in the life of the church and what he has done in our life. It is the Spirit of God who has transformed your heart and your mind. It is the Spirit of God that has given you the ability to understand the Word of God. It is the, is the Spirit of God that has given you the desire to study the Word of God. It is the Spirit of Christ who has given you the ability to worship God. Like It is okay to give Him credit. It's not by your power, it's not by your spirit, but it's by the spirit of Christ in you who allows you to do these things, who allows you to do good works. And I want us to focus our attention on the work of the spirit in this passage. Now, we can spend weeks talking about the ministry of the spirit, the person of the spirit. We can go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, how the spirit is working. But today we're gonna focus on four verses that I, in my opinion, believe that what Luke is trying to describe is not, not an encounter with Peter and Cornelius. In fact, the divine appointment, the encounter that Cornelius and the Gentiles are going to have is an encounter with the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. It's not an encounter just with Peter. It's an encounter with the living God. So let's read Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit, notice that he's already mentioned two times, just in two verses, was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain with him some days. Right at I think this passage is beautiful because it's just not the conversion of the Gentiles, right? Like we celebrate conversions here, which we ought to celebrate. But I think like the real beauty of this passage is that we get to celebrate what God has done in his spirit to these people, right? Like it is the spirit of God who, who, is the main character of this passage. But I think a good question for us to answer before we talk about like what is happening here is who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And I'm gonna give you a definition of who the Holy Spirit is. It's a good definition. It's not my definition, it's someone else's, someone who's a lot smarter than I am. Um, here's, here's a definition. Um, the Holy Spirit, uh, excuse me, this is my definition. Sorry, sorry. This is my definition. Okay, it's a good one better than the next one I'm gonna give you. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. He has intellect, will, and emotions, right? The Holy Spirit is God, I've said that before. So who are we talking about in this passage? We're talking about God, and there there are many titles for the Holy Spirit, like I've mentioned them a couple of them. Um, The Holy Spirit can be called the Spirit of Christ. 
the Spirit of the Lord, um, the Holy Spirit. Like, there are even word pictures in Scripture that describe Him, right? Like the Holy Spirit is like oil. The Holy Spirit is a seal. The Holy Spirit is the guarantor, right? Like, like there's word pictures that explain to us the Holy Spirit and what He does. But, but I think there's a good definition because it's important that we realize that, that the person in this passage is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Now, I can't describe to you how God is three persons and one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right, like they have the illustration, like the, the what is it, the egg thing, the shell, the yolk, and what's the, the white, yeah, that's right, I forgot, I forgot that. Like people expect, that's a bad illustration. I mean, you can use it, but it's, it doesn't do justice. Now, there's a mystery around the Godhead, like right? a mystery that, we cannot fully understand how God is three persons and one. He, there's not like, like three different gods. We don't, we don't believe that. There, there aren't three modes of God, right? Like God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Like, like, like there's three persons and one. And that's who the person that we see in this passage. And, and what we see in this passage is the Spirit orchestrating things in the life of the believer um, in the life of the church that he ought to get credit for, right? So what are some of the things that he should, be get, he should get credit for? What are the, some of the things in this passage that we see that the Holy Spirit does, like the ministry of the Holy Spirit? This list is not exhaustive. This is just what we find in this passage. And, and I wanna give you a definition, um, a, a broad definition of the work of the Spirit. I remember, this is not my definition now. Like, this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is like the umbrella, right? Um, here it is. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the, activi- the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit's job is to make known to you and me, to make known to the, an unbelieving world that God exists that God is here and God is active. God is not just transcendent from his creation, but God is also imminent. He is involved in his creation and he's involved in his creation by the work of the spirit. By the work of the spirit. So what are one of those jobs that we see? What are one of the things that the spirit of God does? And, And what we see actually is that the spirit of God, right, gives power. Just want you to glance over to verses 46 to 43 and just look over it. And this is what's happening in verses uh, 36 to 43. It is the presence and power of the apostles, right? Particularly in Peter, by which they proclaim and preach the gospel, right? Peter proclaims the gospel to Cornelius and his family and friends. How does he do that? He does it by the power of the Spirit. When Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 to 3,000 people, it was under the power of the Spirit. Every time someone proclaims the gospel, the truth gospel, God's word, God's inspired word. When they preach it faithfully, they are preaching under the power of the spirit. As I'm preaching right now, I am not preaching in my strength, in my ability. I am preaching by the power of the spirit. That doesn't make me special. It means that the Holy Spirit empowers believers to proclaim the gospel, right? Who is the person who carried Philip away? It was the Holy Spirit. And in fact, 
Peter alludes to this in verse 38, that it was the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who anointed Jesus to do the work of ministry, right? Luke even mentions this in chapter 4. He quotes Jesus. Listen to these words. This is Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 4. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Who is the Spirit of the Lord? The Holy Spirit. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So who was the one who commissioned Jesus to proclaim the good news? It was the Spirit of God. Who gave him the power? The power that when we reference the power of the Spirit, what we're saying is, is, is a, 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 an ability, a strength, an effectiveness to proclaim the gospel. And what do we see Jesus say? He says that it was under the Spirit's power by which he proclaimed it in miracles. What does Peter say? What does he proclaim? The gospel. It's the Spirit's power who enables us to proclaim the good news to unbelievers. Right? Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, in your life, that, that, that the Spirit of God in you gives, you gives you the ability, like, if you're, like, timid, and if you're quiet, and you're at work, and somehow, some way, like, you open your mouth, and you're like, I got to tell somebody about Jesus. That is not you. That's the Spirit in you. That's the power of the Spirit working in you. It's the Holy Spirit's power who gives you the ability to proclaim the good news. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Here's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives new life. Look at verse 44. We see in verse 44 that the Spirit gives life to who? He gives it to the Gentiles. How do we know that the Spirit is the one who gives life, who gives it to everyone? Well, the falling of the Holy Spirit is evidence of new life, right? The, the Spirit's not going to fall on someone who, who he's not giving new life to, right? Like, the Holy Spirit does not abide and dwell in unbelievers, right? What does the Bible say? We are the temple of the... This is a participation you guys can talk. I give you permission, right? Like, like the Holy Spirit indwells in the life of the believer, the Holy Spirit cannot indwell in the life of an unbeliever, someone who's not repentant, someone who doesn't follow Jesus, who has no, no desire to follow Jesus, right? So who does the Holy Spirit fall on? The Gentiles. Why? Because he's the one that is giving them new life. Who conceived Mary in her womb? There we go. We can talk. It's fine. This is the second service. Who is the one that conceived Mary and whom? It was the Holy Spirit, right? He is the one who gives new life. And what's the type of life that he gives, right? Like, think about it. The new life that he's giving the Gentiles in this moment, it's not the life that they knew before. It's not the life that they lived under, the guilt and the shame of sin. It's new life, life in Jesus, life for Jesus, life about Jesus, right? It's the new life that they received. It's the presence and activity of the Spirit in them that he extended to them for the glory of God. You can't live a life without Jesus and say you have the Spirit of God in you. The Spirit extended life to them, a new life. Do you remember the time that you received that new life? 
Who was the one that gave it to you? The Spirit of Christ. The gospel was proclaimed, you responded, and the Spirit abides in you. What's a, another thing that the Holy Spirit does? We see in this verse, the Holy Spirit verifies the faith of believers. Think about that. What does that mean that the Holy Spirit verifies the faith of believers? Remember the tension that this passage sits in. The Jewish Christians who have believed in Jesus have, have committed their lives to seeing the gospel transform other people still have issues with the Gentiles. And they still don't get along with the Gentiles. So what happens in this passage? Verse 45 tells us, right, that the believers received the Spirit. So the Jewish Christians that were witnessing what was happening, that they were witnessing the Spirit fall on the believers, were verified, like they believed that what they, what they saw in the experience of the Spirit was a testimony of the work of the Spirit in the Gentiles. It was the Spirit of God who was testifying to the Jewish Christians that what they're watching, what they're seeing, what they're viewing is actually the Spirit of God doing it, just like they experienced it, right? The Spirit demonstrated to them the new life that he was giving to the Gentiles. And you notice the difference in which, like, the Spirit falls, right? Like in the beginning part, Luke tells us the Spirit fell on them. And then he says that they were, he was poured on them. And, and I love this, this, um, this picture image that we see in this passage because what the Jewish Christians are witnessing is like this idea of saturation. This idea, like one commentary says, like it was gushing. And the, the Spirit of God was taking complete control over them. Like he was overwhelming them. He was pressing himself on them, right? Like that was, that what was happening and they were witnessing that. And the spirit was testifying to them that this is an activity of God. God is active right now and he is active in the people that we once didn't get along with. And the response was astonishment. They were surprised because because God was working in the life of people that they didn't expect. He was working in the life of people that, truth be told, they didn't want a relationship with because of their ethnicity. And what they were witnessing before them is a demonstration of God's activity and God's power. So, so what did they witness Right? Let's, let's look at verse 45. What, what did they witness? Verse 45 tells us that they witnessed the gift of the Holy Spirit. And let me say this before we talk about some of the other workings of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift. The Holy Spirit is the gift, right? So, so what they're witnessing in this passage is, is just not a manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit. What they're actually witnessing is the Holy Spirit. So, so before we get into some other details about the gifts of the Spirit, just realize that the gift 
is the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus, when the Spirit of God illuminates your heart and mind and he changes it so that you can rightfully respond to the gospel, then the Spirit gives you new life. And when you receive that new life, you receive him. He's the gift. He's the gift. And that's a beautiful testimony, right? Because it's like a relationship, right? You just don't, you don't get the things that the person can offer. You get the person themselves. You get all of them. And that's the relationship we have with the Spirit. When he abides in us, we get all of him. There is nothing that we lack from him. There's nothing that is hidden from, from us. Like we get the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, which lets us do what? Live a life according to God's will. Live a life according to God's plan. Live a life that's pleasing to God. Yes, with all the sin, with all the drama, with all the issues, with all the problems, we get to live a life according to God's plan. We get him. So that's first and foremost. The Holy Spirit is the gift. But we also see that Luke identifies some things that are happening. What is happening? What, what is the gift of the Spirit? And I'm just going to focus my attention on the book of Acts. We're not going to jump into what are the gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians or Romans because we don't have, you know, another five hours to explain. But there's two things that Luke identifies as a, a picture or an image or of what's happening. And, and look at verse 45. What, what is happening? Well, this is what's happening in verse 45. They are, in verse 45, sorry, 45 and 46. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. Here's what I think is happening in this moment. In this moment, the Spirit descends on them, fills them up, and they are speaking in tongues. Now, what type of tongues are they speaking? Here's what I think. This is my opinion, right? You're not gonna judge me. No judgment here? All right, not everyone said it, so we're gonna have a problem. Here's what I think is happening. I think in this passage and this passage alone, right, that the tongues that they're speaking are actual legitimate languages. That's my opinion. Some people don't believe that, this is why I believe that these are legitimate languages that the Gentiles are speaking. Why? Look at the next verse. Here's why I believe that they're speaking legitimate languages. Because look what Peter says in verse 47. Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? Like what? Just, just as we have. So what is the connection? Peter is observing them speaking in tongues and he is reminded of what happened in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles and the apostles, uh, disciples and apostles, that's weird. Um, and he descended on them and they were speaking in other languages. And the people who were listening responded, they're speaking in our languages. I think what he's saying is that they were speaking legitimate languages. And I think the reason why they were speaking legitimate languages is to my next point, is because I think that, that the Holy Spirit wanted to testify to the Jewish Christians that what, what was happening in the Gentiles, it's true and it's right, that their experience is just like the experience in Acts chapter two. And what were they doing when they were, were speaking in tongues? The, Luke tells us extolling God. What does that mean? They were praising God. They were, they were praising God for what? 
I believe they were praising God for what God has done, giving them the spirit, allowing them to, to see the spirit move in, in their hearts and their minds. And what is the response, right? Like that's the same response we had. When we see the spirit work in us, when we see the spirit working in our hearts and minds, when we see the spirit working in other people's hearts and minds, our response is praise. Thank God that the spirit of God is working in our life. It's working in their lives. And I think that is exactly what's happening here. That what they see for themselves is exactly what they experience in Acts chapter two. And I wanna remind you that like, they're praising God. And I think, I think this is a work of the Spirit. I think that one of, the, one of the ministries of the Spirit, one of his jobs in our life is to glorify the Son and the Father. Right? Like, like they're not praising the Spirit, though they can. Who are they praising? They're praising God. And one of the works of the Spirit in our life is to point us back to Jesus. One of the works of the Spirit is to point us back to God. And I, I think that speaks to his humility, right? That the Spirit of God is humble. That he's not looking, right, for, for the attention to be on him. He's looking for the attention to be on Christ, right? It's Christ who is magnified. It is Christ who is glorified. And one of the works of the Spirit is to glorify the Son, one of the works of the Spirit in our life is to bring us to true worship. The flesh cannot truly worship God. The flesh and people who are unbelievers cannot truly worship God. Only the Spirit of God in us can cause us to worship God. Right? Who do you think puts the praise in our hearts? I was just talking to someone between the services and this is what they were telling me. Because I mentioned this about glorifying God, that one of the works of the Spirit is to glorify the Son and glorify the Father. And the way he does that in us is to point us to Jesus. And they told me, I experienced that. How do you experience it? They told me, because when my mom passed away and my mom was a believer, though I was crying, I was grieving, I was able to praise God for what he did. That's a true demonstration of the Spirit. That when you're hurting, when you're grieving, when you're in pain, when life seems to be overwhelming, when, when you're going through cancer, when, like, Chuck up there, I don't mean to, to point you out, Chuck up there, Chuck Hastings right now um, had cancer. And during the service, as I looked through the service, when we were saying Christ be magnified, what was he doing? He was lifting up his hands. And this man is going through cancer. Man, who does that? Not the flesh. You think the world does that? You think the world can lift up their hands to praise God? I went to a funeral a couple of months ago. Renee Suber, if you know her, she sits over there. She came to the nine o'clock, so she didn't miss today. Um, I go to, her son passed away a couple of months ago. And I go to her son's funeral. And when I went to the funeral, like, it was a different type of funeral. Because her family, many of them are believers. And you know what they were doing at the funeral? There was grieving, there was crying, but you know what they were doing while they were grieving and crying? They were worshiping the living God. And I thought to myself like, if the world saw this, they would think we're crazy, right? Because we're worshiping God because someone has passed away? No, what are we worshiping? We're worshiping God because we know that their soul, their spirit is right now in the presence of the Lord. 
So when we grieve, we grieve differently from the rest of the world. But who does that? You think it's you that's doing that? It's not you doing that. It's the spirit of God in you that causes you to see God most clearly when life seems to be darkest. And then you in return, knowing what God has done in your heart, knowing what God has done in your mind, you in turn can worship God through the pain, through the suffering, through the adversity, through the problems. Because you know why? He is faithful. He's always been faithful and you can trust him even when things are hard. Who does that? It's the spirit of God. The spirit of God in us makes us or encourages us many times to praise and lift up the name of Jesus, to praise and magnify the work of Jesus in our life. We cannot do it on our own, but he does it in us so that we can do it. What else does the spirit do? Look at the last two verses, verse 48, 47 and 48. The spirit unifies. It's the spirit of God who helps the Jewish Christians see that the Gentiles who have received the Holy Spirit are now part of the family of God. What was once dividing them, cultural and moral and ethical issues now brings them together. Why? Because who do they share? They share the spirit. The spirit that abides in the Jewish Christians now also abides in the Gentiles. The spirit brings unity. He brings unity in the church. He brings unity between us and God the Father because we could not bring that unity. There, there's nothing that we can do to bring us closer to God if not apart from the work of Christ and the Spirit giving us new life. He brings unity to us. My question for you this morning, like where have you seen the Spirit of God working in your own life? Can you point to times and places, events and issues and problems that you experience and say, yep, I saw the Spirit of God working in every single aspect of that. Can you, can you point to that? Can you point to the time, right, that you received Christ and that you submitted to his kingship and lordship? Like, who did that? It was the Spirit of God. How have you seen the Spirit work in your own life, in the life of our church? Has not the Spirit of God worked in our church? Has he not brought unity? Has he not brought new life? Has, has he not brought power? Has he not done things that we cannot explain? It's been the Spirit of God who's been doing this. And it's the Spirit of God that we ought to give credit to. And it's okay to say his name. It's okay to pray to the Spirit, right? There's a model in Scripture where we pray to God the Father through the Son by the Spirit, but it's okay. There's nothing that says in the Bible we can't pray to the Spirit, but it's the Spirit that's active and present in our life. We ought to remember that. And we ought to not be afraid that there are some denominations who emphasize some of the works of the Spirit, right? And just because some churches improperly use the ministry of the Spirit doesn't mean that we, that we neglect it or we don't talk about it or we don't learn about it, right? Like, there are a lot of bad preachers out there. That doesn't mean that we stop preaching here. We, we ought to learn and investigate. But the way we do that is see, how have we seen the Spirit God work in our life? Because we've seen him work in the Bible, right? 
giving new life, bringing unity, how has the Spirit of God testified of God's power, God's grace and mercy in you? Let's pray. God, my prayer this morning is that your people, me especially, would see your work, your activity in the world so that we can glorify you, so that we can exalt you, that we can testify to an unbelieving world that you are still working, you are still active. God, I pray that this passage would become alive in us, that we would be reminded of how good and gracious you are to save people like us, to save us from our sin and to save us from this present dark age. Lord, I pray that we can identify in this week in the coming days, your spirit moving in our life, speaking to us, talking to us through your word, convicting us of sin, and leading us to Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. And the people of God say, This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.